Welcome, everybody, to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella, and I'm the co-host of this show. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host of the show. Ooh-wee, cool show today, Tyler. Uh, we're Long-awaited. Long-awaited. Couple of really special guests and a really special relationship for the American Shoreline Podcast Network. That's right, Peter. We are thrilled to welcome Jackie Bear and Simone Malaz to the American Shoreline Podcast and to the American Shoreline Podcast Network because... We are bringing their show, Delta Dispatches, onto the network, and we are thrilled to bring this outstanding content and coverage of the Louisiana shoreline and all of the work that's going on there to our listeners. Doc and Simo, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. I hope we're up to the shot. I know. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be with you today, but more importantly, to be a part of the network going forward. Right. And uh, I know you guys are pros, way more experienced in uh, in what you do on your podcast and on your radio show on WGSO 990 AM in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, so we're great. To, it's so cool to have uh, you guys and the professionalism and the insight of all of what's going on in Louisiana. It's just the best thing that could happen to us. <laughs> I need all these compliments all the time. Thanks for having us. <laughs> well, it's great to have you guys here. And uh, as all professionals must do, we got to pay the bills really quickly. Uh, so let's hear a couple words from our sponsors. We have three sponsors on the American Shoreline Podcast Network these days. Dune Doctors from Pensacola, Florida. Uh, Frederic Barisat and her team, outstanding shoreline restoration folks with native dune plants. Give Dune Doctors a call when you're trying to fix your beaches and make your dunes better. Dunedoctors.com. We also are brought to you today by TI Coastal Services out of Wilmington, North Carolina. TI Coastal Services is an outstanding coastal engineering firm. Uh, there in Topsail Island. Uh, give them a call. Go to their website at ticoastal.com. And LJA Engineering, Bill Worsham and his team of coastal engineers, LJA uh, offices all over Texas, and they reach all the way over there to Beaumont and do a little work in Louisiana. LJA Engineering at lja.com. Thanks a lot to our sponsors. Well, Jacques and Simone, it is great to have you on our air. And uh, let's start by learning a little bit about you guys. Jacques, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about your history and how you uh, began working with the Audubon Society. Sure. Well, you know, I am a Louisiana boy. I grew up in Plaquemines Parish, which is just a little bit south of New Orleans on the East Bank. Um, I left Louisiana for about 10 years, um, you know, working for everyone from Google and YouTube uh, to Mother Jones doing um, public affairs for them. But, you know, I was really called home. There's no place like home, no place like uh, Louisiana, certainly, and particularly called home uh to work on this issue. I mean, I'd seen my family, like so many families go through, um, you know, the pain of Katrina and kind of what they had experienced having to leave Plaquemines Parish, um, a place where they had been for a long time, a lot due to land loss and flooding and hurricanes. And so this opportunity presented itself to work with the National Audubon Society and our coalition, Restore the Mississippi River Delta, um, which is a coalition of five different nonprofits, um, Audubon, National Wildlife Federation, Environmental Defense Fund, Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, and Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. And our five groups, along with Simone's group, Restore Retreat, are all working to advance large-scale coastal restoration in Louisiana um, to, you know, confront the land loss crisis that we know is 
severe and, and worsening every every day. Um, the Gulf of Mexico continues to inch closer, and we're trying to work with communities and policymakers, scientists, and others to really get the word out and build support for a lot of the work that needs to be done. So I'm um, excited to be here today and get this message out to a more national audience. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's been four years that I've been in this role and two years, I think, that we've been doing our Delta Dispatches podcast. So uh, excited to be with you today. Well, you know, it was uh, at the ASBPA conference that we uh, ran into one of your colleagues there in uh, Galveston, Texas this year. And we learned about the Delta Dispatches podcast. And of course, we had just launched Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And Peter's first response was, we should really think about getting this awesome show on our network. So it's kind of a dream come true, Jacques, to uh, to see after all of your work and advancement of this cool uh, radio show and podcast to have it come in to our air. Uh, Simone, tell us a little bit, a little bit about you and uh, your story. Sure. Um, so I grew up here in South Louisiana, about an hour south of New Orleans. Yes, there is something and a place to live an hour south of New Orleans in a little town called Homa. Uh, I grew up very, uh, had a bayou in my front yard. Um, and uh, But I left to go to college. I uh, went to the University of Texas and quickly figured out that that is not even close to Louisiana. Um, so I came back home. I finished school here in South Louisiana. Um, I have a mass communications degree and um, never even growing up here did I ever think that I could have a job doing what I'm doing today. So um, Restore Retreat, the organization I work for, uh, began in 2000. And uh, it was uh, really a coastal crisis then in our part of the world, south of New Orleans. We had experienced some devastating land loss rates, the highest in in North America, and uh, we were very vulnerable to um, to storms and, and uh, hurricanes. But also just uh, every day worsening conditions, you know, a, a strong south wind and uh, you could see the changes before your eyes. And so um, I kind of lucked into this role here. I've been executive director of Restore Retreat for 14 years now, and I've very proudly been associated with the Restore the Mississippi River Delta for probably four or five years now. So um, every day our organization focuses um, in on that part of the world between the Atchafalaya, which is kind of south central Louisiana to the Mississippi River. And our mission from day one has stayed the same, and that is um, to implement large scale restoration projects. And uh, for us, that really means implementing coastal master plan projects. Um, we have a very strong science based plan here in Louisiana, and um, that's what we do every day when I'm not when I'm not having fun with shock every Thursday. You know, I think uh, for the benefit of the listeners around the country who are not as familiar with uh, Louisiana, uh, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, I think, is the state lead agency on the restoration uh, of the Louisiana shoreline, the CPRA. Uh, tell us about the CPRA and the level of planning. Give us, Give our listeners an introduction to the infrastructure, sort of the governmental infrastructure uh, that's trying to respond to the problems on the Louisiana shoreline. Louisiana has recognized that they have a, a land loss problem for probably 
you know, three or more decades. We have science plans and documents going back uh, all the way to the turn of the century, recognizing that Louisiana has a land loss problem. And that's because the thing that is so great to us that provides such natural resources, the Mississippi River, is also the thing that uh, ultimately ends up hurting us because um, when they channeled the river that cut off the freshwater and sediment to the Delta, that's why Louisiana looks like a boot, right? So, um, but uh, really it came about after the devastating hurricanes in 2005. And I started here at Restore Retreat in January of 2005. And I can tell you that things were much, much different um, before uh, August of 2005. And then um, probably little known to, to most folks is that there was a second hurricane about a month later, a really devastating hurricane to southwest Louisiana called Hurricane Rita, um, where there was a tremendous amount of damage and lives lost, even, even south of New Orleans, because we were, quote, on the bad side of the hurricane. And so um, the Louisiana legislature knew right then that we had to do things differently in the state of Louisiana. So before um, we had levees, which protects us from storms uh, in one state agency, and we had uh, restoration or coastal issues in another state department. Um, so oddly, um, levees were in the Department of Transportation, like roads, um, and uh, restoration was in uh, the Office of Natural Resources. So the Louisiana legislature created a brand new entity called the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority that brought those two groups together and started their own state agency. And that um, the board or the leadership consists of uh, almost all the different state agencies, including the Department of Insurance, um, knowing that we have had to do things differently and um, each hand had to know what the other hand was doing. Also, the Louisiana legislature with so much um, foresight into um, and anticipating our next challenge also mandated that we come up with a coastal master plan and we had to take levees and restoration and put it together. And even here in Louisiana, we even um, have uh, protection measures where we elevate homes or we fortify businesses to withstand storms. And so it mandated that the state of Louisiana come up with a coastal master plan and uh, through through brilliance, uh, it needed to be updated every five years. And so our first plan was in 2007. Uh, we just had our third iteration, I guess, in 2017. And our next plan will be six years from now in 2023. Wow. So coming from the perspective of the Audubon Society and Restore and Retreat, you guys are with EDF and the National Wildlife Federation, this consortium and the uh, the folks at the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Uh, when you think about the uh, the institution of uh, the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority and the planning process, give them a grade what do you give them? A to A to F. What, what, how how are they doing? I'd have to give them an A. I have I'm definitely biased. Um, we have been engaged in the process as a nonprofit, which which could not happen, right? Other other plans could be developed only in a science vacuum or only in a political vacuum. Um, we have a tremendous relationship and partnership with the state, and uh, I can say that for many stakeholders. I'm gonna see what Jacques says. I, I would agree with that uh, in terms of the grade of an A and. 
and you know having the perspective of having lived outside of Louisiana as well as working with a lot of journalists who are coming to Louisiana to cover this issue from other places you know a lot of times people are pleasantly surprised at the amount of work and progress and the science-based planning that goes into our restoration efforts and you know Simone and I have both had the benefit of touring many large-scale restoration projects that have been put on the landscape, even in the time, the short four years that I've been here, uh, projects like the Caminata Headland um, restoration project, which I think at the time was the largest restoration project. And then they had Whiskey Island, Barrier Island project. Um, we fly over, uh, we do flights a lot and go out on boats, but we fly over uh, marsh creation projects and we see advancement that's happening with um, two large scale sediment diversions, which our groups believe are absolutely critical to the future of coastal Louisiana. Um, from an engagement perspective, we're seeing the agency go down to communities like Plaquemines Parish, where I'm from, and meet with people on a sometimes monthly, if not more, basis um, to help them navigate these challenges. And so you're not seeing agencies operate in that way anywhere else in the state, certainly maybe even in the country. And we're just proud of the work that they're doing and the fact that Louisiana is leading on these issues on, on so many fronts. Yeah, and I just want to follow up with one more thing. I think if if we didn't have that plan and if it weren't based on science, but yet publicly informed, there is no way people would trust us here in Louisiana. And I think that um, since 2005, we've had to re-earn a lot of people's trust. And I think the Coastal Master Plan goes a very long way in doing that. And frankly, I don't think that we would have some of the money available to us today if we didn't have a plan um, or, or the like the organization that we do now. Um, and everybody sits uh, around the table making the plan. No doubt. And, and I'll tell you from uh, having been at the Coastal Management Program here in Texas and worked in other states around the U.S., uh, it is clear to me that Louisiana is the leading coastal restoration and management state in the United States. And it really is true because of the institutions you've built, because of the science-based planning, this recurrent long-term investment in the planning process tied with some real dollar horsepower to make some differences. Um, and it's why Delta Dispatches is not only great for for the word, getting the word out about Delta dispatches around the country and having people engage, but for other states to really take a close look at, at how Louisiana has, is operating. Cause I think it's just the best. I really do. That's right. I mean, the, the whole, uh, genesis of the kernel of the idea of, uh, bringing, uh, Jacques and Simone and Delta dispatches to the American shoreline podcast is that we can all learn from what's going on down there because in many respects they are years and years ahead of other states and, uh, other areas. So what what's happening there, the efforts that are uh, un- being undertaken, the planning work, the government work, the community work, all of this uh, work has to be done and will be confronted by other communities that, that might not have even started yet. Uh, but we certainly see nationwide a, a, a growing interest in the management of our shorelines and we look to Louisiana and the work that they've done there to show us the way. Yep. Yeah, we, we definitely view it as our responsibility, right? I mean, it is <clears throat> our what has happened to us is is certainly nothing we would wish upon anybody else. But we feel like that is the silver lining of, of what we can do is we can go to other places 
and we can teach them the hard lessons we've had to learn. And, and certainly if there's any way that we can help, you know, other communities facing sea level rise or, or, um, you know, more intense storms or weather events that we, we feel like that's our responsibility. And, you know, you guys are, uh, and I think they all are, I think whether you're in Florida or up the Atlantic seaboard over there in North Carolina or all the way up to New York, uh, more intense storms, greater surge, increasing sea levels is sort of what that what the scientists tell us is what we're in for. So your experience there is is outstanding, and we have the two best guides into the world of Louisiana coastal uh, restoration with with uh, Jacques and Simone. So uh, we needed a front row seat. We you know <laughs> I can't even pronounce the names of most of the places down there. So I, 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 like, I don't know. I don't know what parishes. I don't know where all this stuff is. I'm like, what is all this stuff they're doing down there? And, and so we we got to have you guys. Well, we're you know definitely excited to be on, and you know I think. For us, and for me particularly, working in communications, I mean, these are complex issues. There's a lot of nuance in terms of science and policy, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about people and their homes and their lives, um, and you know, so we really try to bring that to the forefront and talk about both what's happening um, or what has happened to people, but what people are doing themselves, whether in their careers or just um, in their advocacy. So we've had, you know. Uh, journalists, policymakers, community leaders, business leaders, business owners, um, chefs, like all kinds of uh, guests on the show. Because one of the things we realize when it comes to coastal land loss and coastal restoration, there isn't one sector of society here in Louisiana that is not touched by that. And so there are so many stories to tell about how important this issue is. And we just like to provide a platform for so many of the interesting characters across Louisiana, as you would imagine, to come on and tell us their stories. And I mean, it's been really successful just by giving that platform to so many people. Man, we, we can really relate with that. Uh, there's just so much you you just give a give a person a microphone and, and listen. You know, there's there's you're going to get gold, great stories, insight that you would you would never know even existed. You know, Jacques, I, I wanted to ask you a question because uh, I know that the the Audubon Society is is nationally known. We've all heard of it and we know that uh, there's a there's a focus on uh, birds and habitat, but um, will you uh, t- tell us a little bit why uh, coastal Louisiana is so critical for the Audubon Society and um, a little bit about why you, your organization is making the investment it is there in Louisiana? Absolutely. So, yeah, as you said, the National Audubon Society is a national organization. We have state offices, chapters, centers, sanctuaries across the entire country. Um, And we work for um, the advancement of conservation, you know, from the perspective of birds. Birds are a great um, moniker of overall health of ecosystems and habitats. And we try to preserve that habitat um, and the health of those ecosystems for birds and for people. Here in Louisiana, we've actually been here for almost a century. So in Vermilion Paris, Parish, which is in southwest Louisiana, we have the Paul J. Rainey Wildlife Sanctuary, and that's 26,000 acres. Um, It's Audubon's oldest and largest sanctuary in the entire country. We actually... um, you know, received it as a, a gift um, uh, uh, through the Rainey family with the help of E.A. McElhenney, who is um, was a noted cons- conservationist, but also the heir to the tobacco um, franchise and Tabasco tr- franchise, as I'm sure you all um, have enjoyed. Um, 
Yeah, but um, Rainy is a beautiful place. And so we are coastal landowners and about 80% of Louisiana's coast is privately owned. Um, And so we do a lot of work out there. Simone mentioned uh, Hurricane Rita. It was devastating to our property, as was Ike, Gustav and a few other storms in that time frame. So we try to advance restoration on our property as well as land management techniques that we can share with other landowners across the state. Um, You know, the large scale coastal restoration projects at the Coastal Master Plan is, is advancing are critically important. But, you know, we try to also make the case that as landowners, there are practices that you could probably employ on your own property that can help, um, you know, other uh, other nearby landowners and, and help you uh, manage that property. So we work with a coalition um, called the Rainy Conservation Alliance, and we've been able to work with our neighbors to um, secure funding for restoration across our properties um, and work in that collaborative fashion. Of course, Louisiana is incredible. Incredibly important um, to a number of bird species. Um, you know, there's a hundred million um, birds that come down the Mississippi Flyway every year, um, and and for for many of them, uh, Louisiana's coast as well as the Gulf of Mexico is the last stopping point that they have before taking that nonstop journey across the Gulf of Mexico during migration, and it's the first bit of land that they see when they come back um, to rest and kind of recover from that trip. So it's critically important bird habitat, um, and you know we realize that it provides a huge. Um, wealth of uh, diverse habitat. And so just like, you know, people or fish or other species depend on that full estuary that Louisiana is known for, um, birds are similar. So you need your beaches and shorelines, but you also need your interior marshes and your swamps and your, you know, bottomland hardwood forests. And so um, Louisiana really has that um, incredible mix of habitat. And so for us, it's not just about maintaining um, land, it's about the type and diversity of land that we're maintaining. And so for those reasons, I mean, we're very committed um, to these issues here in Louisiana um, and working to advance restoration to benefit birds and people. You know, uh, Simone, I wanted to touch base with you about the Isle de Jean Chorel. I think I'm pronouncing that in the Louisiana way. (laughs) Jean Chorel's. And and for the folks around the country who are starting to contemplate and face the issue of either vertical retreat or actual retreat, uh, this is a community that has a rich history, as I understand it, a historic Native American community uh, in the Mississippi uh, River Delta area that I understand the state has bought out and is going to rebuild somewhere else. Can you tell us the story of this town and and have you been there and have you talked to the folks and tell us about this place? I'm very fascinated by what's happening there. Sure. Um, there is a Native American community in my part of the world, um, even further south than where I grew up, um, called Ile de Jean Charles. And uh, it is a Native American community. And um, over the past several decades, as I mentioned, you know, um, the places in between the Atchafalaya and the Mississippi River, and and, um, we call them parishes here, right, based on the Catholic Church instead of counties. Uh, It's located in Terrebonne, on the border between Terrebonne and Lafourche parishes. Well, unfortunately, one of the reasons why that area has such devastating land loss rates um, is because uh, the ground in which we live sinks um, because it is that heavy delta um, which built us, but also, you know, sea level rise and and different factors 
Um, but uh, Terrebonne and Lafourche in particular had been cut off from freshwater and sediment from both the Atchafalaya and the Mississippi. And so uh, you kind of see all the forces of nature come together. And that community in particular had been devastated. Um, and in general, there has been a retreat from the coast. You can see it uh, in census shifts. Um, certainly um, uh, over the last census shift, people are moving north. And frankly, those are the people that have the means or the resources available to relocate. Um, but if you are somebody who lives off of the land or have, um, you know, cultural or uh, religious ties to the land, you don't want to leave. And so this community was devastated uh, several times and, and not just, as I mentioned earlier, huge hurricanes, um, you know, they can, their community and the road, the one road leading to their community can be inundated by a strong south wind. And so um, after um, Hurricane Sandy, of all things, um, the um, housing and urban development on the federal level, that um, department had a uh, disaster resilience competition, a nationwide um, competition. And so um, that project, uh, along with many others in Louisiana, was put forward. And, um, and that was chosen nationally um, as a pilot program to say, um, what are we going to do about communities that are facing retreat, frankly, right? It, it, it's in our name, restore or retreat. It started out as a threat, by all means, our name, uh, and then slowly became a reality. And so that community um, uh, was awarded federal dollars to relocate. Um, there had been several attempts earlier um, just because of the vulnerability of the community um, to try to to help them. Um, but it's very, very complicated. Jacques, Jacques mentioned it earlier. This is about people. This is about where they grew up. This is about their livelihoods. This is their backdrop of their of their past and of their future. And so it is really hard to have that conversation. Um, and that is something that um, Louisiana's Office of Community Development is, um, is trying to wrangle with here. And uh, they did purchase some property further north. Um, they tried to take into account, uh, they tried to talk to community members about what they want to see in their new community. Um, of course, water access is hugely important to them. Access to their um, to their old uh, property is still important to them, but also they're, they're culturally important and, and religiously important um, places around where they live. And so they are trying to still navigate that, but it is very, very tricky. And, um, and frankly, like, you know, they don't always want to be the front page um, news of, of this is what communities need to look like because it is it is about a person and it is about their family and what if what if your brother didn't want to move and what if you wanted to move and so um, we are learning a lot I think and, and I will definitely say as an outsider looking in I think we're learning that this goes so deep so deep to um, the core of people and you know being forced to to leave a place that you love, um, for, you know, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. You know, that is, uh, I think really at the core of, uh, the issue here when you're dealing with a community like that, that's really on the front line of the restore retreat discussion. 
And of course, it, it complements or rather complicates it when you are dealing with the cultural heritage element. And uh, that is a purely human issue. And um, I just I, I think that the work that the state is doing, that the feds are doing in trying to manage that will be you know, obviously there's this community, we can't lose sight of the fact that these are the actual people who are on the front line. But of course, we will learn from this community. And I think that the uh, the challenges and obstacles that are being negotiated in trying to figure this problem out will be one of the cornerstone pieces that will build the broader uh, plan and strategy and how to manage other low-lying areas and coastal communities, frankly, around the country that will be staring down the same obstacles uh, in, the, in the coming years, certainly. Um, you know, I, I do want to, one of the things for, for those of us who are not uh, uh, from Louisiana and uh, kind of, you know, I grew up with Emeril Lagasse, uh, you know, on the television and uh, uh, obviously, you know, New Orleans is like one of the most culturally unique and uh, just vibrant places in America. Yeah. Let's and, talk about New yeah. Orleans a little bit, y'all. Can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of, you know, the, the culture of food, you know, the, right. the coastline and um, the bayou and, and, you know, I'm going to use the word swamp, I guess, <laughs> but these are, you know, I, I know that historically, at least there was uh you know, this was a people would harvest food out of out of these natural resources. Still do, and still do. And I'm Absolutely. curious to know um, what y'all's uh, experiences with all of that, and uh, if you've been out and like you know eaten some crazy uh, coastal Louisiana meals. So, if you're asking if the food is what brought me back, the answer is yes. I couldn't stay <laughs> away. Um, no, I mean certainly food is such an important part of our culture, right? And so much of that is sourced from our coast, whether it's, you know, our crawfish, you know, alligator, even, you know, oysters, shrimp, um, you know, our waterfowl that um, we, we love to eat. I mean, there is a huge culture of food that has existed in New Orleans, um, going back to, you know, the first settling of New Orleans and still today. And we've seen other influences come in um, and, you know, shape that, that food and that cuisine as well. And so it's what brings people here um, in a lot of ways. It's what they enjoy. And it, it's one of the things that we love about living here. I will say we do a lot of work with our organizations with chefs in New Orleans. And these are folks like Nathan Richard at Cavan and um, and others who, Isaac. Isaac Toops, who is on Top Chef, um, you know, and these are great spokespeople and ambassadors for our issue because, you know, they're sourcing their food from our coast. Um, they're, uh, a lot of times they're from Louisiana and from coastal areas and have seen in their lifetime growing up fishing and hunting, how things have changed. And they're also working and, and interacting with people in their restaurants. Some of them may be from New Orleans and Louisiana. Some of them are, are, are from outside of that, um, of our region, but you know, they have an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, what our coast provides and the food that, that it provides. And so there's a lot of exciting um, developments that are happening there. I mean, Simone and I have talked with um, folks from uh, companies like Shelly Farms, which is an off-bottom oyster um, farm in Plaquemines Parish, and how they're innovating um, their 
production to, you know, confront future challenges, but also to, to realize an opportunity that exists in Louisiana on the coast. Um, we've had, you know, chefs on the show before to talk about their passion and their, um, what they've seen in their lifetime in terms of how things have sh- changed. Our partners, Coalition Restore Coast of Louisiana, they have a really robust oyster shell recycling program where they work with, I think, over 25 restaurants across uh, New Orleans to take the shells after they're, you know, consumed, the oysters are consumed, and do a recycling program that puts them back um, into artificial reefs. Um, They've launched one out of the Biloxi Marsh in Louisiana, and they're about to do another one um, to kind of protect a culturally significant site um, near Point of Shen for another Native American tribe and community. And so... um, Food is just one of those things that just connects us all. Um, and it's a great way, it's a great um, appetizer to uh, talk <laughs> about some of these there. issues. <laughs> Actually, as a matter of fact, before Delta Dispatches is a food and wine show. And Jacques and I are always pushing for a crossover event that we can do together. And another perk of the job is, um, for example, this weekend, we'll be Jacques and I will be emceeing an event where they do a cook-off of wild game in Louisiana and there's an air, sea, and land competition. And, you know, Jacques and I have to go over there and see what they're up to. It's it's culturally (laughs) important to us, too. Well, you know, the city, what I'm interested in a little bit about the city of New Orleans in I wanted to first. I want to give a shout out to my son who works at the Ace Hotel, great restaurant there in New Orleans. And uh, if you're looking for a great bar and a good restaurant, go to the Ace Hotel and say hello to my son Peter Francis. Jack and I will have to do a site. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving him a shout out at the Ace. But uh, you know, when I was in New Orleans at an, F- an American Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting, I think I want to say 2014, but I, I don't know. The, I can't remember the year. But we took a tour of the Ninth Ward. Uh, post Katrina, of course, and uh, went down and saw the, just the the barren landscape of that community that was such a, a major part of the of the city and the culture of the city. And I really wanted to get y'all's take on how the city has bounced back from Rita, and it, you know, in in ter- particularly in the ninth ward. I think it's the ninth ward, right? Am I am I remembering that right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the lower ninth ward is one of the areas in New Orleans um, that was uh, incredibly devastated after Hurricane Katrina. Um, You know, there were wetlands adjacent to the community and also neighboring St. Bernard Parish, which was also devastated, um, that served as a buffer from storm surge. Um, And because of navigation channels like the Mississippi River Gulf Outlet or Mr. Go and other factors, um, you know, those wetlands were lost over time. And so Katrina's storm surge um, was able to basically ride up Mr. Go like a storm surge superhighway and inundate that community. Um, So, you know, we all remember the images from um, the coverage of Katrina and how devastating that was for so many people. And I mean, I, I won't, you know, sugarcoat it. There is still a lot of uh, empty homes, people that moved away that have not come back. And this was one of the neighborhoods in the entire country with the highest rates of African-American home ownership. So it's, you know, it's devastating. But we are working with organizations like the Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development and Arthur Johnson over there, who's their executive director, who we've had on the show a number of times. And he's been doing a lot of work with the community to engage them around coastal issues and the environment to advance restoration projects. I mean, certainly after Katrina, 
um, there was a massive investment in uh, and around the New Orleans area and the system of federal levies um, and the storm surge barrier that was put in place to protect areas like the Lower Ninth Ward and St. Bernard Parish. Um, so I think we're in a better position than we were before. And, you know, just recently there was announced that um, the New Orleans Land Bridge Restoration Project, which is another critical restoration project um, that will help those communities and protect them with storm surge um, protection, uh, natural storm surge protection, um, receive funding through Quipra, um, which is another source of funding. So um, there there are signs of hope. Um, and I think, you know, um, we're doing a lot of work on the ground and with great partners like uh, Lower Ninth Ward CSCD um, to make sure people are aware of the challenges that, you know, we still face and to come together to advance solutions while we can um, on on coastal issues. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, that is so fantastic that everybody's working together on these things. And I had the pleasure of taking a trip myself to New Orleans a couple years ago and for, for my uh, 30th birthday. And, uh, and it was a good one. Having fun in New Orleans <laughs> it is was, part of the tradition. <laughs> it really is. Uh, yeah, there were, there were some beads and things like that. But um, And I, I truly had a, a fantastic time. And I will say again, the food was amazing. Um, but I, I also remember, uh, Peter, uh, we were flying back from Florida. Uh, we were working on a beach project over there and we were flying back and, uh, we had, uh, window seats and we were looking out and the, the light was just perfect. And we could see the, ref- the, the, from, you know, our flight level at like 30,000 feet, we could see the, the shoreline and, and, and the, the Clawfoot, the Mississippi River Delta, and the, the outfall, and oh my goodness! And I think you took a photograph of it, I in did. fact. And it's it 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 stands out. I'm reminded of it here as as we're talking to Jacques and Simone because uh, you could really see these these like lines cut through it and just how uh, modified, I guess it was. And I'm curious to know when when you guys are working on these projects, what what is the and I know that there's a there's a master plan and there's lots of planning work, but what is uh, in your in both of your personal like mind's eye, what is the 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 outcome here? What is, what are you shooting for as far as a good outcome for coastal Louisiana? So I would, you know, say and challenge our listeners, you know, we'd love for you to come down, enjoy our food, enjoy our culture, um, but also get outside of New Orleans, or you don't even have to get outside of New Orleans in some cases, but get out to coastal areas. I mean, you can visit the Bayou Bienvenue wetland uh, platform in the Lower Ninth Ward. You can go on kayak tours to see um, kind of the environment and the coastal areas. One of the tools we use a lot, um, because there's, like you mentioned, no better way to understand what's going on than from the air is we take people, whether they're journalists or policymakers or community and business leaders up on flyovers across the Mississippi River Delta. And from there, you can see, you know, the devastation to our coast. You can see canals that have been cut through. You can see where land has been, um, you know, completely um, you know, uh, eroded and, and, and lost due to hurricanes and other uh, factors. Um, but you also see signs of hope. And some of that is in the coastal restoration projects that have been advanced, the marsh creation projects, the barrier islands. But w- you also see what I like to call like almost a tale of two banks on the Mississippi River in Plaquemines Parish. And on the East Bank, um, particularly in the Bohemia Spillway, which is a natural flood, uh, a flood zone or um 
you know, an area that there isn't development, um, where the levees have kind of been removed since the 1920s, the river's a lot more free-flowing. And there are some natural crevasses and areas like Cubitt's Gap, um, which was a channel that was dug by an oyster farmer back in like the 1860s. And now it's built over 75 square miles of land. Yeah, and his daughters. (laughs) Um, You know, now it's a national wildlife refuge. And so um, you see that. And on the West Bank, you see kind of the Mississippi River, the Mississippi River levees, a tiny strip of land, and then a back levee. And behind that back levee are marshes and the Barataria Basin that are just er eroding and disappearing faster and faster. And so for us, you know, it really presents this clear depiction of what is needed. And that is like, we absolutely need to put the sediment and freshwater and nutrients of the Mississippi River, the sources that built the land that Simone and I are on right now while we record this podcast, um, back into wetlands that um, are disappearing. And so I think um, what we're shooting for is a sustainable coast. And the only way we're going to get there is if we leverage the power of the river, its sediment, its freshwater, and its nutrients to push back against sea level rise and further land loss. Um, You'll see in satellite imagery, you know, um, sediment just spilling out of the Mississippi River into the Gulf of Mexico year after year after year. And we can't waste that sediment anymore. If we're going to have a fighting chance, we're going to have to put that back. And so thankfully, the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority is advancing um, sediment diversions that would do that. There are two that we're really closely following, um, Mid Barataria, which is on the west bank of the river in Plaquemines Parish, Mid Breton, which is on the east bank. And so these projects would help build and maintain tens of thousands of acres over time. And so that is land that we desperately need if our region is to have a sustainable future. Makes perfect sense, right? That the Mississippi River built coastal Louisiana and uh, it, you know, you can pump this sediment through a pipe and it costs a whole bunch of money, or you can let the natural system uh, have a chance to, to work again. And it, it raises, I think, Jacques, and I think, Simone, if you could, you know, kind of go a level deeper here, because there, there are significant trade-offs involved in these diversion projects. And I think there's one, is it the West Diversion Project that's under consideration now, which is a, a major rerouting? Can you tell us about that? And, and what are the trade-offs and how, how are those decisions uh, being worked through down there on these, on these diversion projects? Yeah, so the the two biggest diversions that are moving forward right now through a a permitting process, because before we do anything here in Louisiana, we have to uh, get permission, frankly. Um, One is called the, um, we call them the MIDS, the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion, which enters into that area in my part of the world between, um, basically on the west side of the Mississippi River, and another project called the Mid-Breton. There are actually several diversions in the coastal master plan, but um, these two have are, are most advanced through the permitting process. And Jock is absolutely right. Let me quickly ask one question, and I'm sorry because give us a give us a sense of the magnitude of the diversion, CFS or, or I mean, these are these aren't little culvert things; these are big time projects. Tell us about the scale. No, so uh, that's a very, very good question. Um, so, for example, um, the bayou in front that I mentioned earlier, growing up and in, in front of my yard, um, 
probably maximum flow. Uh, we measure everything in cubic feet per second. And but think about a slow moving bayou. That's the exact definition, right? That probably at maximum is 250 CFS. Um, but uh, a larger bayou like Bayou Lafourche, which used to be a distributary of the Mississippi River, that at maximum could flow at a thousand CFS. Um, the projects that we're talking about today, the, the diversions that will empty into the basins, those could be at its highest point um, is uh, is 75,000 CFS is what they're looking for for Mid-Breton. So if you're thinking about the Nile, um, you know, that's about, you know, the combined flow of, you know, so we're, we're talking about again, harnessing the, the river, but what we're ultimately talking about is control here. And so there are strict operational regimes where um, you don't always just dump that much freshwater sediment into a basin. Uh, you can maximize it to capture the most freshwater and the most sediment uh, when you when you need it the most. And so ultimately, we are talking about bringing back this natural system, but we are um, we're talking about controlling it. And there are there are going to be transitions in both basins um, because if we're able to restore that natural process to the way it used to be you probably have to fish where you used to fish. And, and, you know, frankly, we probably shouldn't be catching some of the things that we are so high up in the basin. But um, somebody told me this once, and it's something that I think about very, very often. There is no status quo in coastal Louisiana. Every day we change, we lose a football field of land every hundred minutes. That's not just something we say, that's something from, you know, the USGS agency of the federal government. We can quantify that. So the fact of the matter is, is that we're losing time, we're losing land, and uh, we only have so many resources. And so what I think Jacques and I face every day and what an agency like um, the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority face every day is that um, this is changing with or without us, and we would rather be on the with us part of that plan um, so that we can anticipate changes and make plans for that because um, it's, it's going to happen with or without us. Wow. That is such a great perspective. And uh, yeah, there's no status quo in coastal Louisiana. What a great phrase. And I think it captures so much about the fact that like so much of the American shoreline, but, but particularly in, in the Mississippi river Delta area, the level of, of, um, management, can we say management or the fact that we have inserted ourselves into these hydrologic, these very complex systems and we've replumbed them and we've made massive changes and, uh, I don't think we're very good at foreseeing the effects of that. Uh, Tyler and I were talking about this on a show last week about the planned uh, uh, coastal spine that's being talked about for Galveston Bay, which would create a gate across a two mile wide uh, Galveston Bay entrance uh, ship channel. And, you know, you just think about the manipulation of these natural systems where the critters are so tied to salinity and the timing of flows and, and wetlands and the health and all of this is very intricate. And, uh, 
you know, Louisiana is, I think it's going to change. You're right. It's going to change whether you're involved or not and participating in that process to try to move it in a positive direction environmentally, economically is it's kind of it's unavoidable. I think you guys really are on the front lines of the, these projects. And if I can just jump in on this, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me as well, because I, I, you know, we all remember Katrina and we rem- remember the, you know, the horror of that and the disaster of it. Um, and we remember the flooding. Um, but what we don't think about is the land loss and the management. Uh, and, you know, we, we remember the levees, we remember the pump stations. You know, these were like the big things that were talked about on CNN all the time. What, what we don't realize and what has happened, I think, over time is that the broader interconnectedness of the Mississippi River, which is really, when you think about it, kind of the aorta of America, of North America, yeah, it the is. continent. It is. It's where... You know, if if a drop of rain falls in, you know, for the, most of the country, mm-hmm. it's probably going to come out through where you guys are there well, in in Louisiana. Everything west uh, east of the Rocky Mountains comes down to, the, down to Louisiana. Thirty one states and two Canadian provinces, I believe. I can never the, remember that. Drainage. See, that's why I keep Jacques around. <laughs> I can't remember that stuff. Yeah, so it's it, you know, there's it's obviously the end of the line for this incredibly. Uh, important and monumental feature of our of North America's drainage, and uh, of course, as we have done, the the modifications to the system begin at the very top. You know, it's not it's very easy to look at the end of the line and say, "Boy, we've well, we built a city there, and we've got uh, shipping interests, and we've got oil refinery interests, and all these." But really, it's the, we've modified our systems everywhere on this in this country. Uh, from top to bottom. And so when we are looking for management solutions that are environmentally sound, that take care of our cultural heritage, that take care of our economic interest and our industrial interest, etc., these decisions are tied to everything. And this is, you know, our fund of, this is why uh, just the other day we were writing a, a piece about what we were, what we're working on here with the American Troll Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. And, you know, Peter and I don't take a pessimistic view at all, but we do because we see the opportunities to collaborate and come up with solutions that historically were just not done. The reason why we have, we, you know, decisions were made to say channelize or divert were, you know, it was a flood control measure or it was, yeah, you, you, it's cheaper to bring in a ship that way or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. But when you, when you zoom out and view it from the, a modern perspective, a perspective that is informed by modern science and also in the case of Louisiana, very real land loss and sea level rise issues, you realize that the solutions are all tied together. All of the uh, interconnections that happened from the top of the system all the way down there to the delta all come to fruition. And uh, that's why I think it's so cool that this consortium uh, that you've created uh, is working and communicating with the people and working with the government and working with your with communities on the front line and working with uh, farmers and ranchers and people who are responsible for runoff. I mean, it's a big, big, big issue that... Uh, and complicated problem that requires a super robust and kind of permanent, uh, permanent work. 
Um, and so with that, I, I kind of want to shift the discussion and talk a little bit about what you all have planned for Delta Dispatches. We're really excited to have the show, of course, on the air. And I'm sure you guys have got some cool shows lined up. Tell us a little bit about what you're planning on doing. Sure. So, you know, Delta Dispatches has been around, as I said, for about two years. We've had over 80 episodes. Um, We actually air it live um, from a radio station here in New Orleans, but every week we put it out on our um, podcast feed and we're excited to have uh, it be a part of the network. So um, our tagline is, uh, we discuss Louisiana's coast, is people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. So um, we will have, you know, anyone on that kind of fits under that umbrella. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of issues coming up in the year ahead. Um, You know, Louisiana is heading into um, elections with like major turnover of the legislature. Um, There are uh, big, large scale projects that are advancing like the sediment diversions and others. Um, And then there's just important um, work we need to do to get the message out to more people across Louisiana and now nationally about this issue. And so um, we'll have more of our staff on, um, uh, science staff, policy experts to give us kind of the inside scoop on what's going on. We hope to have some of our um, uh, friends from the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority on um, to talk about progress that's happening on some of the projects that we track, um, as well as, you know, continue to have business community leaders and others um, on the show. I mean, we're pretty open and Hopefully we can have some ASBPN, uh, you know, uh, hosts on as well to talk about how these issues intersect across other parts of the country and get their perspectives. We'd love to um, expose our listeners to some of the, the great shows and hosts that you all have as part of your network. Well, thanks for saying that. And we absolutely would love to do that. And uh, there are so many smart people involved in in these projects and down there. Uh, that I think would be great on shows that we have uh, and and having some of the folks um, from ASPN uh, with Delta Dispatches. I think this uh, the working together and cross-pollinization opportunity here is fantastic, uh, Jacques and Simone. So we're, we're really excited about how that's going to work out and look forward to it. I know I'm personally looking forward to hearing uh, how this all works out and some of the uh, people that can be brought to bear here. It's going to be great. And I do think that uh, it'll be cool to get uh, for your radio listeners who are, of course, in uh, local there in Louisiana. It'll be cool for them to hear how uh, people around the country look to uh, them and their the work that's happening there uh, and how influential that is everywhere else. So that'll be nice to share those thoughts with your listeners. Absolutely. I mean, I think we are fully aware that, you know, eyes are on Louisiana in terms of how we're handling this crisis and how we're taking advantage of the opportunities that exist. Um, A lot of the work that our groups do is to, um, you know, make sure that, you know, funding that is allocated for coastal restoration stays allocated for coastal restoration. And thankfully, you know, there's been a lot of support, bipartisan support. This is like an issue that, you know, doesn't really know geographic, political or other boundaries. And so there's a lot of consensus for the work ahead. Um, And so, you know, we want to show that Louisiana is doing a good job um, as it has been for the last decade. Um, And so hopefully that's a message we can help get out through your network. 100%. And 
Jacques is the communication director for the Audubon Society. I know you pay close attention to the public perception of what's going on down there. And it makes a big difference to me and I think to people around the country that Audubon and, and EDF and the National Wildlife Federation and the other groups in your consortium, Restore and Retreat, have confidence in the process, the decision making and the financial management of these programs. And that tells me what I need to know, because I know you guys are there every day. I know you see it firsthand. And if it passes your test, then I think the country absolutely can have confidence in what's happening down there and learn from it. So uh, it's just it's just a, a great opportunity to to talk about this nationally. And it would and this is going to be on weekly. I hope we're going to have you guys on your show on every week, which is going to be really great for our listeners to 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 learn what's going on and over time really get deep into the Louisiana, Mississippi River Delta issues. No pressure, Simone. I know. I, <laughs> I think I better up my game a little bit. <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, I'm frequently late. I'm out of town. So, but I'll, I'll step it up. Well, um, we try to have fun with it, and uh, but it is a serious topic, and we're so glad that we're engaged with you guys. Yep. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, so, uh, Jacques Bear, Communications Director for the Audubon Society, Simone Milaz, Executive Director of Restore and Retreat, the co-hosts of the Delta Dispatches podcast and radio show on WGSO 990 AM in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast Network, and we can't wait to hear more from you guys. In my car, I'm going too far. Never coming back again